what a joy it is to be together and to get to, to sing that and then to, to look into the scriptures and, and see how we can bring glory to Christ in 2023. How will our lives bring glory to, to Christ in 2023? Is there a better question that we could ask than how can we bring glory to Christ, whether that's individually, as people, as families, or as a church family? I don't think there's a better question that we can ask. And how do we do that? We worship. We worship. We worship in so many different ways every day. We worship with our mouths. We worship with our hearts. We worship with our plans. We worship in our relationships. We worship with our time. We worship through our work. We worship when we rest and the ways that we rest. We worship. We are worshipers. And in 2023, we make the aim of our worship the glory of Christ. That's how we honor him. And not only as we enter a new year do our actions need to change sometimes, but sometimes our perspectives need to change. And it begins with acknowledging that he is sovereign. And so as our first point, glory to Christ who is sovereign, that is our aim. That is what we see and what we, what we long for, that we would bring glory to Christ who is sovereign over all. Psalm 127 verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house... The builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. We don't want to do anything in vain. And we want to heed this caution and take this as we bring glory to Christ. And so whether you're a resolution person or not, no one makes a resolution with a plan to fail at it. At least I hope you don't. No one pays for a gym membership only to go for a week with the goal of going for a week. You may only go for a week, but that's not your goal. Your goal is that you would pay for that and you would continue going, maybe at least for the month. Um, no one sets out to lose weight in the new year only to feel worse about yourself when you gain more so that you can feel worse about yourself. You're like, I want to feel terrible, so I'm going to make this impossible goal. No one plans to stop reading their Bible three chapters into Leviticus. That's not your plan. That's not what you set out to do, even though sometimes these things happen. No one gets married hoping for it to end in divorce. No one starts a family with the goal of creating dysfunction. We have dreams. We have visions. We have goals. And they always envision the end but as we build, we must also watch. We build these things, but then we also must keep watch over them. But as we build, we don't build alone. And as we watch, we don't watch alone. We start with the Lord, we end with the Lord because the Lord is in all. And he is the one who builds the house and he is the one who watches over. How do we get from point A to point B in any decision or goal that we make? And we start somewhere and we think, I need to get there. When I was younger, I would sit at my table in the kitchen working on homework in frustrated tears because I was terrible at it and I hated to do it. And I would stare at my blank homework feeling overwhelmed. And my mom would often say to encourage me, how do you eat an elephant? And I thought that was the oddest question ever because no one eats elephants. Who, who does that? And she would say, one bite at a time. I'm not sure who's eating them. I'm not interested. Um, and I'm quite certain my mom never ate an elephant, so this wasn't necessarily experience talking. But her point was made, when there's something big and overwhelming, an end goal in mind, something that you want to aim for, sometimes that end gets overwhelming, but we need to take one step at a time to get there, one bite at a time. Looking at the end is important, but to get there, you need 
to only look at the step that's right in front of you. Annie Dillard, an author and poet whom most of you have maybe never heard of, but famously wrote, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. A schedule defends from chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. It is a scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labor with both hands at sections of time. A schedule is a mock-up of reason and ordered and order, willed, faked, and so brought into being. It is a peace and a haven set into the wreck of time. It is a lifeboat on which you find yourself decades later still living. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. This is a picture, when I see that and I read that quote, this is a picture of faithfulness. It's a picture of how holiness is accomplished in our lives. A holy life might seem daunting. It might seem overwhelming. It might even seem unattainable to us. A legacy might seem impossible. But one step at a time, it can happen. And start stacking those days into weeks, into months, into years, and into a lifetime. You see, Christ is sovereign and he holds it all together. And what he creates in us, he causes to happen. He doesn't call us to something that's impossible. He doesn't call us to something that's unattainable. He actually sees to it that it can be accomplished. We don't want to build in vain. In God's sovereignty, he builds it. And then he watches over it. But where it really gets practical is how we live our days. And this takes us to James. And it takes us to maybe the most Christian of Christian catchphrases. If the Lord wills. Or Lord willing. Maybe we've all said that at one time or another. Maybe some of you say it a lot. And if that became so much more than just a tagline on our plans, and it really served to guide our like, feet on the ground mode of operation for our lives, how different would our lives be? How full of joy in the face of trials would our lives be? How grounded and anchored would we be when trouble comes? When we would take the perspective not just to say some words, but we actually take the perspective that if the Lord wills, then we'll do this. Because Christ is sovereign, we can rest in him. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17 say this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So this passage, it is full of, this passage is full of presumption, full of assumption, And if I'm honest, this speaks a little too specifically to how I live my days. I build, I watch when I should humbly submit to unless the Lord builds it. Where I choose to go is up to me, this or that city. How long I choose to stay is up to me, spend a year there. What I choose to do is up to me, carry on business. And while I'm there, wherever that is, I determine the success and make money. In this simple sentence, James calls out the self-centeredness of people 
to seize control, the control that resides in the hands of a God who is sovereign. It is a wrestling match of us trying to take that back. And on the surface, these things don't seem overtly sinful to us. It's not murder. It's not adultery. It's not gossip. However, presumption without Christ is arrogant. When we take the blessings of God as entitlements, we ignore the giver. We ignore the blesser. And we set ourselves up as Lord. Now, we often do this unintentionally. We're not out there shaking our fists at God and telling him we're the boss and to get in place. But our actions do this. And to not be mindful, to not think about him first, is to have a seared conscience, to have a heart that is desensitized to his spirit. And that's a place that's worth recognizing. That's a place that's worth fighting against so not to presume any longer. It's this under-the-surface evil desire that our flesh, that we should crucify, that we should kill. Making plans isn't wrong. It's not sinful to make plans. In fact, it's been said that failing to plan is planning to fail. But where sin enters is where we make plans with no regard for God in those plans. Our failure as planners is when we treat as certain the outcomes for which only God controls. We take our days for granted. We take how fragile life is for granted. We think that today is just a normal day to do whatever we want to do with it with no regard for the Lord. Take two examples, for instance. Our bodies. Our bodies are complex, and one small bump or bruise, you know how it goes, can change your attitude for the whole day. It can ruin your day because it hurts. But one small thing internally that decides to stop working would end our days right here. Our bodies are fragile. Our lives are fragile. A mist. Take driving. Driving is crazy. And 2022 has marked the year that we sent out our first driver onto the roads by himself. But think about it. We all drive. And as we drive, going 70 miles per hour on the road is crazy. Going 70 miles per hour or more on the road beside somebody else a few feet away who is also going 70 miles per hour is crazy. One small move. One small mistake. Our lives are fragile. We are a mist. To live as a mist doesn't mean we live as if life doesn't matter and that our choices make no difference. To live as a mist is to live in view of the sovereignty of God. To no longer live for the things of earth, but to live for the things of eternity. Our investments should never be in the temporary possessions and positions of life. For last, but, but rather for lasting crowns and for the presence of Jesus and for what is to come. And James ends this little section with this. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. In the midst of a call to the sovereignty of God, James calls us to obedience. He says to each one of us, now that you know what your life is, now that you know how you should plan with the Lord at the center, now that you know it's boastful and arrogant to live with yourself at the center, it is sin if you don't change the way you think and you don't change the way you live. Now that you know the good you ought to do, and if you don't do it, it's sin. So here's my challenge for me, but for all of us. 
2023, we will no longer build in vain. In 2023, we will no longer stand watch in vain. In 2023, we will acknowledge that tomorrow isn't promised. In 2023, we will view our lives as a mist, instead living for eternity. In 2023, we will give up control and trusting our unknown future to a God who knows. And in 2023, we will live confidently to bring glory to Christ who is sovereign. I want to read the the lyrics that we sang at the beginning as I end this. Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive unless the Lord does raise the house. In vain its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. Well, for better or worse, we're finally all on the back end of Christmas and New Year's. And for some, that means relief. And for others, that means disappointment and eager anticipation until December rolls back around in 2023. Uh, Now, if your family's anything like mine, the past month was probably filled with holiday celebration. That means New Year's Eve parties, that means Christmas gifts, that means Christmas songs, and probably not a small amount of Christmas movies. Movies like Elf, It's a Wonderful Life, A Christmas Story, and probably one of the more iconic, The Grinch. (laughs) Regardless of which version of The Grinch you watch, it it always has the same general storyline. And and it's a powerful story, and one that we probably don't often uh, give it credit for, because it truly does reveal something about all of us. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, because I'm sure we all know it, but it's about a character named The Grinch who hates Christmas. And as we follow his escapades throughout the movie to ruin Christmas for everyone, the turning point happens when the Grinch encounters what the movie frames as the true meaning of Christmas. Now, it's, it's not the meaning of Christmas that we all ascribe to, but in the movie, the discovery changes the Grinch deeply. So rather than being discontented and villainous against Christmas, he begins to feel a deep sense of satisfaction. It's no longer something he doesn't understand. Now, the Grinch has a sense of joy and pleasure with Christmas. And out of this discovery of satisfaction, the rest of the movie follows the Grinch as he demonstrates a newfound devotion to Christmas. And so what this reveals about all of us is that just like the Grinch, what we find our satisfaction in controls where our devotions lie. The Grinch discovered satisfaction in the true meaning of Christmas, and so he devoted himself entirely to it. And that begs the question, what do we find satisfaction in? Where do we hang our anxieties, our ambitions, our longing, and even our whole life? This kind of question is posed a few times in Scripture, and I think of one instance specifically that stands out, and that is the story of the woman at the well in John 4. Now, while we don't see Jesus ask this question specifically in John 4, it's all about the story of a woman who is searching and who ends up finding the source of true satisfaction. 
So to paraphrase John 4, 1 through 42, it's a story about Jesus passing through Samaria. And on his way, he encounters a woman from the area. As we come to find out, this woman hadn't been living uh, a de- what we might consider a devoted life to the Lord. It seems like she had been grasping for something meaningful, but hadn't quite taken a hold of it. We learn that the woman had a vibrant history of broken love relationships. We learn that she was caught up in the long-running turmoil between Samaritans and Jews about where the proper place of worship ought to be. Even more than that, Jesus reveals that it wasn't simply the place of worship that she was confused about. It was also the person to be worshipped that she was confused about. And to be honest, as we read the story, we can't even really tell if there's anything she's really satisfied in. Or at the very least, she was pursuing satisfaction in all the wrong ways. And Jesus knew this. That's why he quickly redirected their encounter toward addressing true satisfaction. At the climax of Jesus' dialogue with the woman, in verse 10, he says this. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And just a few verses later, he further explains the living water he references as water that truly satisfies and satisfies entirely. And from what Jesus says in verse 10, we can pinpoint two reasons why the living water he talks about truly satisfies. That is because of its substance and because of its source. Recognizing her pursuit of satisfaction, the first thing Jesus says to the woman here is, If you knew the gift of God. And at the end of verse 10, Jesus pulls back the curtain more as to what exactly that gift is. It's living water. So it's almost as if Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, which is living water. And Jesus isn't just using some random word picture here. Referencing the gift of God as living water makes sense in his immediate context because it's a conversation by a well. But it also makes sense in a biblical context. In places like Jeremiah 2, uh, Zechariah 14, Ezekiel 47, and other places in the Old Testament, the picture of living water is used to reference grace, life, and transformation, all of which flow from God himself. So there's serious contextual weight to the phrase he uses here. And the point in bringing this context to bear is so that he reveals what the substance of this gift is. It's eternal life, eternal life through salvation. But it's not just the substance of this living water that is fundamental for true satisfaction. It's also the source. Now, at the beginning, Jesus does pinpoint the source as God. He says it's a gift of God. But as I mentioned earlier, the woman at the well was confused about God. So what got her attention in the end wasn't how Jesus talked about God. It was her encounter with Jesus, who is God. Most prominently, Jesus directs the woman to himself as the source of living water. He says, if you knew who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is the one who gives this living water, which is eternal life through salvation. And this is the extraordinary truth about the satisfaction that God offers. It's not just about the source. It's not just about the substance. It's about both. 
Our salvation is never unhinged from the person who offers it. Salvation itself is a thing of grace, of life, of transformation, but it flows from a person of grace, life, and transformation. Salvation allows us to enter into the presence of the person who satisfies. If salvation was just a moment, just a thing, then it would run out of satisfaction, but it's not. It is intricately connected to the source. So salvation isn't just a moment of satisfaction, but rather momentum into the eternal source of satisfaction, who is Christ. So we find an absolutely essential truth in this story, which is that all glory must be to Christ who truly satisfies. Glory to Christ who truly satisfies. And this is what the woman at the well discovered that day. True satisfaction is in Christ. And isn't it interesting that as the story continues, we find out that she was a lot like the Grinch. Immediately after discovering this satisfaction, she devoted herself to it. She wasted no time before going back to town to tell people about Christ. After discovering that doing life her way and seeking satisfaction in the wrong things had failed, she began to work towards spreading Christ's satisfaction to others. She realized that Christ and his kingdom is better than anything the world has to offer. And this is the shift that satisfaction creates. Instead of being devoted to building our own kingdoms, we become devoted to building Christ's kingdom. And make no mistake, everyone in this room are kingdom builders. The question is, whose kingdom are you building? Are you building a kingdom of wealth, of yourself, of influence, you know, fill in the blank? Or are you building Christ's kingdom by devoting every aspect of your life to him and by making his name known? The Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 has something to say about kingdom building. And it says this, starting in verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. It's interesting that the first thing we see here is a recognition of the Lord's glory. Hallowed be your name is just another way of saying glory be to the Lord. It's recognition that God deserves the highest honor. And what do we see flowing out of this recognition of glory? And I might also add a recognition that, that the Lord is the one who truly satisfies. It's kingdom building. Now I want to be sure I'm clear that you know, we're, this prayer, first and foremost, is a prayer to God, not to ourselves. God is the one who ultimately builds his kingdom, but he uses us to do it. We are a part of that building. So to pray that God's kingdom come means to kick ourselves into action as well. Primarily, the part we can play in expanding God's kingdom is working towards seeing satisfaction in Christ expand in the hearts of people. And this doesn't just mean seeing people saved. It means working hard to help your brothers and sisters in Christ strengthen their faith. Because when faith is strengthened, satisfaction in Christ expands. So the questions we need to ask ourselves in 2023 are these. Do the things I'm devoted to reveal that my satisfaction is in Christ or something else? 
Because I want to give glory to Christ who truly satisfies, am I working toward building his kingdom or a different kingdom? Am I spending intentional time with believers and unbelievers to help satisfaction expand in their hearts? One of the ways we can bring glory to Christ in 2023 is by working toward answering these questions in a way that puts him above all else. So in 2023, all glory be to Christ who truly satisfies. And I'll read this part of the song. His will be done, his kingdom come, on earth as is above, who is himself our daily bread. Praise him, the Lord of love. Let living water satisfy the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness yet. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ, our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. Who doesn't like to receive something new? Anybody in this room receive something new in the last eight days? Most likely. We all love to receive something new. I love the joy as a dad giving gifts to our kids. And some of the best moments, as I think back on Christmas's past, are when the kids were younger and some of their responses that were unbridled and full of joy. Uh, years ago, you know, who doesn't like something uh, new to wear? You know, years ago, one of our children, uh, a couple years in a row, they'd receive something new to wear and decided they were instantly going to put it on. So right there, in front of everything, they changed into their new clothes. A few years ago, we had a, a fun thing that was new in the basement, and the kids uh, following a scavenger hunt got down there. And I remember being there, and one of our kids circling around, racing at full speed, and then landing on the floor on their back, doing snow angel-type movements, overjoyed at what was new before them. As followers of Jesus Christ... If you've come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been made new. He has come. He's placed his spirit in you. Second uh, uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is, a new, in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He's put a new heart inside of us. He's taken out the old heart, the heart of stone, and he's given us a heart of flesh. He's transformed us transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he's loved that he loves he has made us new but god is a master builder and he is not done yet because there's a day where he is going to make all that is with us today he's going to remake it and make it new again glory to christ who makes all things new. And we need it, don't we? We need something new. If you know Jesus, you've been made new, but we live in a broken and fallen world, and we need it to be made new once again. To understand it, we don't need to, to look too far uh, beyond our own lives. We see our own brokenness. We see our own pain. We see our own suffering. We see the, the, the scourge of sin in our own hearts and on display all around us. 
And we recognize that as we look back in the first pages of the the book that God has given us to reveal himself to us in Genesis chapter 3, we see that in the world that God created perfect and without flaw and with perfect communion between man and wife, between man and woman and God, sin entered and broke everything. And we live in that reality today. We call it the fall. We use words like fall from grace. He fell hard. Look how far they have fallen. And there has been no greater fall than the fall of mankind from the the heart and the love of God. Adam and Eve were our first to do it and we have partaken with them. And now we live under the curse. We live in, in this world of sin, sin that still captures our own hearts. And it stands between us and God. And it breaks us. And it separates us from everything that we've been created for. Every hurt and every pain that you I ever have or ever will experience is a result of sin in this world, our own sin and the sin of others. This chasm between us and God. Every missed field goal Every desire that is right that goes unfulfilled, every desire that is wrong that screams for our heart's attention, every longing for someone that we love, every relationship that is fractured or hurting, every achievement that we don't succeed in, every thorn or thistle that we encounter, everything that we experience, every piece of pain in your heart and in your life and in mine is a result of this brokenness and we need it made new. And as we look forward to the final pages of Scripture, to the book of Revelation, we see that all glory is to Christ who makes all things new. Revelation 21.5 says that he who was seated on the throne said... I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Dave talked about a master builder who has constructed and orchestrated life and how we are building our lives. And only when we build our lives in accordance with and in tune with the master builder does anything we do actually make sense and matter. The master builder is still at his craft and he has an end in mind and he is going to make everything new and bring all glory to Christ. The culmination of redemptive history when God makes all that is wrong right. It's the crescendo of God's glory manifesting Christ through all of creation for all of eternity. It's when the curse is finally broken. A few verses before what I just read out of Revelation 21, verse 5. In verse 3 it says, John the writer said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Can you taste it? Does your life scream out for that moment when all that is broken is fixed for good? Revelation 20 
2, verses 3 to 5 say, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Christ will make all things new. And that is our hope. That is our future hope. That's when we will truly be at home, when all that we were designed for and created for will find its fulfillment in Christ, in Jesus, ultimately who satisfies in this moment, but forever in that. Our present reality is one of groaning, though, as we walk among and in our brokenness. But we look forward to that hope, knowing that the one who has promised it is faithful because our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Is that your hope? Do you know that hope? Have you accepted Jesus into your heart, into your life, to be the Lord and the master builder, the king of your heart, Is he on the throne of your life? If not, this hope isn't for you. And this morning the invitation is to you to turn from your sins and turn and trust to Christ. Because he rules and he reigns over all. He is sovereign. And he alone satisfies. And he will make all things new. If you're heading into 2023 and you don't know Jesus personally, if you don't have a relationship with him, what better way to begin than to trust him with your life, to turn from your sins? We would love for that. We would invite that. We would urge you. We would plead with you. We would welcome a conversation with you to that end. Because he can make you new now so that you can experience all of the newness that he's going to bring then. 1 Peter 1, 3-4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. That's what Jesus came to do, to give us new life here and to make all things new then. If you are a child of God, if you have trusted him as your savior, if you've repented of your sins and invited him to have control and to be the master builder of your heart, as you look ahead to 2023, where do you need God's help? Where do you need God's hope? What brokenness do you currently experience where you need to fix your eyes on him? What are you facing that seems impossible? I love how the angel, when he came to Mary to tell her that she was going to bear the Christ child, and she discussed that with him, the response was, nothing is impossible with God. There's nothing that you or I face today that is impossible in the hands of a sovereign God who loves us and who gave himself for us. 
There's nothing that you or I face that he can't fix. There's one thing that 2022 has taught me. It's how desperately I need my Savior. I'm a broken and weary traveler with you. And the hope that Jesus Christ offers both here and now are the light and fuel of our hearts. And Paul in his prayer for the Ephesians, he prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened in order that they may know the hope to which he has called them to us, the riches of Christ's glorious inheritance in his holy people, and that we would know the incomparably great power for those who believe. It's the same power that uh, exerted mighty strength when Christ was raised from the dead and seating him at the right hand in heavenly realms. That power is available to the children of God. When you look ahead, there is nothing too difficult for God. We bring ourselves to Him, asking Him to shine His light into our darkness, into every place of our hearts, so that He can illuminate it. Because one day, He's going to light up all the darkness and He's going to make it all new. Looking through the pages of Revelation, it's interesting. The verses that we read speak of the throne of God. As you read through the book of Revelation, there are different times where we catch visions of the throne of God. And it's usually with smoke and pillars and billowing and flashes of lightning and people and angelic and celestial beings uh, never stopping in their praise and worship and loud peals of thunder, and endless praise, and endless worship, endless resound of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, and who is, and who is to come. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and under the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands, circling the throne in endless praise. And in those verses that we looked at, we see that that is where we are located. We, in the presence of God, in the presence of His throne, when He makes all things new, it says they will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever in his presence, at his throne, because he is making all things new. Do you know him? Is he yours? As we head into 2023, we can entrust with him, to him, the things that matter most to us, because he's the master builder. He's the source of satisfaction. And he is the one who will receive all the glory as he makes all things new. When on that day, the great I am 
the faithful and the true. The Lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light, and we shall ere his people be, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King, all glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing, all glory be to Christ.